0: Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: And I'm Natasha Smith, coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado.
0: We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast.
1: Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us.
0: Yeah, and on today's program, more troubles with the Boy Scouts of America, and that trouble could create a financial liability for the churches that host scout troops and cub packs. And the Southern Baptists aren't the only ones having their meetings this summer.
1: We begin today with more news related to Cook Camps, the prestigious Christian camps in Missouri.
0: Yeah, a group of sexual abuse Victims and their family members have gone public with their concerns about former Canaco counselor Pete Newman. Uh, in an interview that aired on the CBS affiliate in Dallas last week. The story aired on Thursday and is now on the station's website. None of the victims were identified on camera, citing both privacy concerns and the fact that some of them had signed a non-disclosure agreement. But it was nonetheless the first time that some of them had ever gone public. In fact, some of them said they hadn't even told their parents about the abuse. Uh, when they were asked why they would risk financial consequences and reputational consequences by coming forward, one of them said, I have a story that I want to be told. And another one said, it's a cry for justice.
1: There was another milestone in the Canna Cook story this week.
0: Yeah, uh, there was. A group of victims and their families have uh Put up a website called Facts About Canacook. Uh, we've reported on uh, that uh, event or that activity before. A part of that site, though, is a petition demanding that Canacook release victims from the non-disclosure agreements that they signed. At least some of them did, in order to receive help that they needed as sexual abuse survivors. That petition went over fifteen thousand signatures in the past week, though. So far, it at least, there's been no indication that Cannon Cook will, in fact, comply with their demands.
1: We continue with the latest from the Boy Scouts of America.
0: Yeah, an analysis by the Associated Press found that both the Boy Scouts of America and the Girl Scouts of the USA have been jolted by unprecedented one-year drops in membership that they are blaming on the pandemic, at least partly, and also partly on social trends that have been shrinking their ranks for decades. And while both organizations insist that they'll survive – The dramatic declines do raise questions about how effectively they'll be able to carry out their time-honored missions, missions that include teaching skills and teamwork, providing outdoor adventure, and encouraging community service.
1: So what are the numbers?
0: Well, the numbers are really... Kind of amazing. And I, I should say, Natasha, I've been following the Boy Scout story for years, as I think you know, and many of our listeners know. So these numbers to me are just really stunning. Uh, membership in the BSA's flagship Cub and Boy Scout programs uh, dropped from $1.97 million people, that's almost 2 million people in 2019, to 1.1 million people in one year. Uh, That's a 43% drop in a single year.
1: Wow, that is huge.
0: Yeah, it is, and the court records that um, have been made public as a result of all the bankruptcy and other cases that the Scouts have been involved with recently uh, indicate that the there's actually been a further decline to about 762,000, so that's the loss of another 400,000. The Girl Scouts say that their youth membership fell about 30% uh, from $1.4 million in 2019 to Uh, about 1 million in 2020.
1: Meanwhile, Christian alternatives to the BSA and Girl Scouts are thriving.
0: Yeah, they are, which kind of gives the lie to that excuse that it was the pandemic because both Trail Life USA and American Heritage Girls have seen significant rises in membership, uh, even during the pandemic trail life which has been around just since 2014 so only about seven years has gone over 30,000 they are now saying they're at about 33,000 at American Heritage Girls it's been around a little longer about 25 years and it now has about 50,000 members.
1: Now you say that these numbers could have troublesome impacts uh, for churches why is that?
0: Well, yeah, because as we reported a couple of weeks ago, the Boy Scouts have put about $850 million into a fund to compensate sexual abuse victims. Insurance companies are expected to put up hundreds of millions of dollars more, perhaps into the billions of dollars. And local scout councils are selling their camps, some of which they've owned for decades, to also contribute to this fund.
1: Well, that is a huge amount of money.
0: Well, it is a lot of money. And as I said, it'll probably run up into a couple of billion dollars when you add all that together. But the victim's advocates and their lawyers say that that won't be nearly ad- enough. They've estimated that the total liability if fully funded could be over 100 100- billion dollars, which is far, far more money than we've been talking about here. Uh, So the victim's lawyers say that they're also going to go after churches and denominations that over the years have been chartering scout troops and cub packs, uh, asking, perhaps compelling them to put money into this fund as well. And that could have a huge impact on the thousands of churches that have chartered scout troops over the years.
1: Well, next up is a story of how the Anglican Church is dealing with sexual abuse in its ranks.
0: Yeah, for more than two decades, Mark Rivera was a lay leader in two uh, Illinois churches affiliated now with the uh, with ACNA, the Anglican Church in North America. And he earned praise from some uh, in those churches for a serving heart, uh, for inviting complaints from others about Uh, his interactions with girls and young women, dozens of whom he referred to as his godchildren. Uh, Rivera served at uh, Christ Our Light Anglican Church in Big Rock, Illinois, which is a small congregation with just a few dozen members, but he also served at Church of the Resurrection, which is in Wheaton, Illinois, and it's one of the largest congregations in ACNA. It's right by Wheaton College, and a lot of students and professors go there. It's become one of the Uh, Mega churches or flagship churches for the entire denomination. And between those two uh, congregations, he served as a catechist, a youth leader, a small group leader, a communion minister, a prayer minister, and a personal mentor to many young people, some of whom he met in his home, according to one of the alleged victims.
1: But all was not well.
0: No, it's not. Even though he had this long track record of faithful service, these stories about him have been kind of percolating for years. And uh, finally, in 2019, Rivera was formally accused of sexual offenses against a minor. He was relieved of his church duties. He was arrested and put in jail. I should say, though, that even then, members of these two churches um, came to his defense. Uh, Some supported him and contributed even to his bail payment, uh, claiming that the complaints of abuse were satanic attacks against the church. While Others cheered the fact that the civil authorities were finally acting, even if the church leaders had remained largely passive over the years. Uh, Now we have a new statement, though, from uh, Bishop Stuart Ruck. He's the dean of the Anglican Diocese of the Upper Midwest, and he says now that he assumed law enforcement would take care of the matter, and he did little to investigate or impose further church discipline on Rivera, whenever he was arrested. Um, Ruck did, though, now close down Christ Our Light Anglican Church and appointed a committee to look into all of the charges. Divisions are still breaking out between friends and associates of Rivera who defended him and others who urged Ruck to authorize the independent investigation.
1: But it now looks like the Anglicans are finally going to do the right thing.
0: Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago in May, um, uh, Ruck sent a letter out um, to the the diocese. It was made public last week. He apologized for his inactivity. He announced that the Upper Midwest Diocese had contracted with Grand River Solutions to, to conduct an independent investigation, and he followed up with a June letter that uh, assured members and victims that Grand River Solutions' final report would, in fact, be publicly released and he went on to say we should have done this earlier Uh, and he said also said let me begin by saying that there are those who have been horribly victimized in these events I desire to own where we have not served them as well as we should have and to care for any potential victims who may still come forward
1: Well, I guess the good news is that Ruck is taking responsibility for this problem
0: Yeah, Ruck openly described the past two years as a difficult learning process for him. He said that, I made regrettable errors in the process when the original allegations came out against Mark in 2019. I mistakenly assumed that the necessary criminal investigations was a sufficient step, and he thought it would be best to let the county's district attorney take the lead in the investigation. I naively expected the trial to occur much sooner than it has. By the way, I should add that Rivera is apparently still out on bail. Now, Ruck goes on to say that I have since learned otherwise, in part, through conversations with one of the victims, and I now understand that when an accusation of this gravity occurs, even when an arrest is made, there should be a safe opportunity for other possible victims to come forward, and I apologize, dear family of God. He says he didn't create that kind of an environment, and that um, my mistake accounts for the significant gap in time between Mark being accused and this communication which announces the investigation, is coming to you.
1: And by the way, there's a lot more to this story, including the fact that one of the guys who knew about this controversy was a member of the board of the Roy's Report, which is a watchdog group that often speaks out on sexual abuse situations. And that board member has since resigned.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's uh, a tragic situation. I mean, I'm not trying – I don't want to say that – it's not in any way, shape, or form, but it is also an interesting and complicated story and one that I think we can learn a lot of lessons from. So I would really like to recommend that all of our listeners go to our website. We've got a much more complete version of the story there. Uh, it's at com, and the story's right on the front page.
1: One more quick story before we go to break, Warren, and that's the next chapter in the ongoing saga of Liberty University.
0: Yeah, that's right. A former NFL player who had served as a diversity officer at Liberty University has now sued Liberty for about $8 million, claiming that his firing violated his Civil Rights Act and the Virginia Human Rights Act. Uh, In a complaint filed last week in federal court, Kelvin Edwards, a former executive vice president of Management Efficiencies and Diversity, alleges that he was fired because Liberty's acting president Jerry Prevost does not value diversity. Edwards was hired in the summer of 2020, according to the complaint that he filed, to take a leadership role in the Office of Equity and Inclusion. The complaint alleges that the school committed to Edwards for 10 years of employment before recruiting him, Uh, but he was fired within just a few months.
1: Warren, we need to take a break, but when we return, the Southern Baptist Convention wasn't the only denomination meeting this summer. We'll have news from some of the others that didn't grab the sensational headlines. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a Stork Bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork Buses partner college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
1: i Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, let's continue with some denominational news. First, the Presbyterian Church in America.
0: Yeah, the Southern Baptists grabbed all of the headlines with their annual meeting a couple of weeks ago, and including a lot of headlines here at Ministry Watch. We did probably a dozen stories over a period of several weeks on that denomination, but lots of other denominations are meeting this summer. The PCA, Presbyterian Church in America, held their general assembly in St. Louis uh, last week, and among the actions that they took was to pass an overture, which is what they call a resolution, saying that those who identify as gay are not qualified for ordination in that denomination. The overture includes any identity that Christians may profess that, and this uh, is a quote from that overture, that undermines or contradicts their identity as new creations in Christ, though it does single out gay Christian, same-sex attracted Christian, and homosexual Christian among those identities. The denomination already bars any practicing homosexual from ordination. And by the way, that overture passed overwhelmingly, uh, 1,438 votes to about 417
1: now other denominations are meeting as well
0: Yeah, the AME Zion Church, which is one of the largest predominantly black denominations in this country, met, as did the United Church of Christ, the UCC. Now, the UCC is an interesting case study because it is one of the most progressive denominations in the country, but it is also one of the least diverse, both in terms of race and theological conviction. In fact, by the UCC's own admission, you can read this on the their website. They call themselves the widest denomination in the country. It also happens to be one of the fastest shrinking denominations in the country. When it was formed from the merger of several Presbyterian and congregational denominations back in the 1950s, it had more than 2 million members. And you've got to remember that that was at a time when the United States had only about half the population that it does today. Well, today, not only has America doubled in size, But the UCC is less than half as big as it was then. It has only about 800,000 members. And if you're not white, pro-gay, and pro-abortion, you're kind of out of place in that denomination.
1: Our next story is one of those stories that Ministry Watch does so well at, and it's a look behind the headlines to bring you the rest of the story. Now, this particular headline here made national and international news. It was the news that Mackenzie Scott had given away $2.7 billion. It sounds like a really great feel-good story, but you say that there's more to this story than got reported in the mainstream media. Yeah,
0: there was a lot more. Uh, Mackenzie Scott, uh, many of our listeners may know, is the former wife of Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. She announced that she had uh, given the groups about $2.7 billion, nearly 300 groups, and that followed a $6 billion gift that she made last year.
1: That was a headline, usually accompanied by the fact that she gave the money to nearly 300 different groups.
0: That's right, but what wasn't mentioned was that not a single evangelical organization was among the recipients. The recipients were overwhelmingly progressive and, in some cases, actually antagonistic to evangelical Christianity.
1: So are you saying that her philanthropy is a bad thing?
0: Well, I want to be careful about that. Uh, One of the things that she's doing that I really like is that she's giving the money away and not letting it accumulate in a foundation that will trickle out 5% a year to charities, but which will usually generate more than 5% in investment returns. That means that the foundation grows year after year. Uh, I normally don't like government intervention into the nonprofit sector, But I find myself in favor of a new proposal by Senator Charles Grassley to raise the amount that foundations and donor advised funds have to give away each year. Mackenzie Scott, on the other hand, is doing that without being prodded by the government. And I do think we should commend her for that.
1: So your issue is who she's giving to.
0: Well, that's right. Uh, Of course, it is her money, and she can give to whomever she wishes. However, she said that one of the criteria she was using for giving the money away uh, was inclusion and diversity. Uh, It is ironic that her definition of inclusion and diversity means excluding an entire class of ministries uh, based purely on their religious affiliation. A look at the hundreds of organizations that she is given to um, shows a powerful lack of tolerance for evangelical Christian organizations, which, by the way, are doing most of the real work in this country to help the poor and the disenfranchised.
1: That's a pretty bold claim. Well,
0: it is, but it is also true. Uh, As Arthur Brooks documented in detail in his book, Who Really Cares? Evangelical Christians and Christian organizations are more active givers and more active with their volunteer time than those that are a part of or support progressive causes. And I don't just mean that evangelicals are more involved in evangelism and discipleship ministries. They give more and volunteer more at homeless shelters, at soup kitchens, and at all kinds of other organizations that liberals talk about, but don't actually support in anywhere near the scale that conservative evangelicals do. So bottom line for me, Natasha, is that I affirm Mackenzie Scott's strategy of giving away the money rather than letting it pile up in a trust fund, but question her implementation. Definitely two cheers or one cheer and not three cheers from me.
1: Now Warren, we have to take another quick break here, but when we return, our weekly lightning round of ministry news briefs. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host, Warren Smith. More in a moment.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Now, we like to end with this segment of shorter news briefs. What's up first?
0: Well, an update on a story that we brought you back in June when Pastor Joseph Burris Sr. pleaded guilty to sexually abusing minors at the church he founded. His son, Paul, who was also a pastor at the church, pleaded guilty to groping women in 2018. Now, this past week, three new lawsuits alleged that the father and son team of serial abusers was only part of the problem at Victory Baptist Church in Rochester, New York, which now has a new name, a new pastor, and a non-functioning Meet Our Leaders webpage. The three women who say that they were victims of abuse at the church have sued under New York's Child Victims Act, alleging that the church itself made a practice of filling staff positions with known abusers, allowing them free access to young people at the church and in other settings.
1: What's the next story you have?
0: Well, I wanted to note the passing of Bob Abernethy, uh, who was the founder and longtime host of Religion and Ethics News Weekly. He died on May 1st, so it's been a couple of months ago, at age 93, but the news of his death didn't become public until last week. Uh, Bob Abernethy was one of the deans of religious journalism in this country. The show he hosted, uh, Religion and Ethics News Weekly, as I mentioned, ran on PBS for nearly 20 years, and during that time, I had the privilege of being a guest on that program several times. And I have to say that though the perspective of PBS and the program were decidedly more liberal and ecumenical than, you know, the kind of work that we do here at Ministry Watch, I found that whenever I was on that program, my point of view was always treated fairly and accurately. And that's a tribute, I think, to Bob Abernathy's journalistic professionalism. It's a style of journalism, to be frank, that we could use more of today.
1: And finally, Warren, normally at this time, we feature Christina Darnell's column, Ministries Making a Difference, but not this week. Why is that?
0: Well, for a very good reason. On July the 4th, Independence Day, Christina delivered her fourth child, and her first baby girl, Aubrey Elena Darnell, was six pounds and 15 ounces. So she'll be taking some time off from both the column and from Ministry Watch, though she says she wants to come back in the near future, and we sure hope she can. Until then, congratulations to Christina, and uh, may God continue to bless her and uh, Aubrey Elena and their family. Well done.
1: Oh, that's so exciting. Well, before we go, do you have any other quick notes?
0: Well, just a couple of items. A reminder that faith-based fraud is now available at audible.com. And I want to thank everyone who made a fiscal year-end contribution to Ministry Watch. We had set an ambitious goal for the month and for the year, for that matter. And to be honest, I wasn't sure we were going to get there. But thanks to many of you listening Today, we did, so again, thank you so much. As always, we want you to support your local church first, your favorite and carefully researched ministries second, but if you have a little extra after that, you can give Ministry Watch um, a few pennies to help us help you and others become more effective and informed stewards, and if you do, we will, of course, be grateful. Uh, To make a gift to Ministry Watch anytime, not just at year-end, you can go to ministrywatch.com and hit the Donate tab up at the top of the page.
1: The producers for today's program are Rich Rosalind, and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Gutterd, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Sarah Dreher, Emily McFarlane Miller, Ann Stike, Bob Smetania, Shannon Cuthrill, and Steve Raby. And thanks to the Nonprofit Times and Religion Unplugged for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado.
0: And I'm Warren Smith, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.